can we try some of these? Um, and so then we can have like the best, funniest, smartest podcast ever. I'm already hopped up. I already dosed up. You dosed up on Alpha Brain? On Alpha Brain. Okay, all right. Hit this. me with the Optimind. Optimind. Smart drugs are having a moment. There's a TV show called Limitless about a miracle drug that turns an ordinary guy into a genius. There's the growing popularity of nootropics, a group of drugs that are supposed to make you smarter. And meanwhile, the booming world of esports has been shaken by scandal after a player admitted that his team was on Adderall during a tournament. This week on Radio Motherboard, we'll be talking to Steve Cronin, who became a self-taught nootropics expert after Lyme disease caused him to lose some of his mental ability. We'll also be talking to an esports journalist who's been watching the doping scandal go down. And we'll even try out some of these so-called smart drugs on ourselves. Hello and welcome to Radio Motherboard. This is Adrian Jeffries. I'm managing editor of Motherboard and I'm here with Emmanuel Myberg, our games editor. Hi. And Steve Cronin. Hi, Steve. Hello. Steve, uh, tell us who you are. Well, I am, I suppose, currently a YouTuber. Uh, I've been making... A YouTube star. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, I've been making videos about like smart drugs, nootropics, biohacking, pretty consistently for the past six or seven months, I would say. So you have an educational YouTube channel. Would you say that's fair? It's a slightly educational <laughs> YouTube channel. <laughs> it's an educational, health-focused YouTube channel and focuses on this um, like incredibly large, wide-ranging group of drugs called nootropics. That is correct, yeah. And am I pronouncing that right? I, you know, I've heard many people, both like way smarter than me, pronounce it both ways, nootropics, nootropics, so... Or go for it. What is the the short name for it? There's a short name for nootropics. I can I've, learn something. I've seen people call them newts. Oh, shorthand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I personally don't don't say that, but eh. get those newts. <laughs> Steve, did you bring some newts for us today? I did. I brought three different one one standalone nootropic, which I'll kind of define what that means in a second, and then two what are referred to as stacks. So, firstly, what I brought is phenylparacetam which is in this amber vial right here. And phenylparacetam is a precursor for, we think, about three neurotransmitters. Um, so acetylcholine, uh, we suspect GABA, and then dopamine. It gets kind of tricky here uh, when you talk about what substances like invigorate or cause like what neurotransmitters and then what they do, because at the end of the day, like we don't really know. Um, but so, so phenylparacetam is, uh, is, a, is a nootropic that, um, so the, that invigorates those three neurotransmitters. So acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter responsible for like focus and memory. So the more of it you have, the more of those things ideally you get. Uh, dopamine uh, gives us our sense of like movement, like, like where our bodies are positioned in space. Um, this particular effect has kind of like a bodily type energy, something you might experience while you're running. Can I see this little um, amber bottle? Okay, so of this course, looks yeah. like very, um, this looks like an apothecary thing. It's like <laughs> this little tiny bottle. So I'm guessing small amounts of this stuff must be pretty powerful. Yeah, the standard dose uh, that I take, um, and that's really what I would prefer to talk about, is about 100 milligrams. So it's pretty, pretty small. Um, that, you know, if you want to kind of subjectively gauge that and eyeball it, It'd be about maybe uh, a fourth of the size of like a pea, so quite okay. small. Yeah. Cool. And what else have you got? So what I have next is uh, something called Nexus from Axon Labs, which is a pretty new company. 
Um, this is a stack, so like phenylparacetam is just kind of like one nootropic, like a singular that you would take for a specific thing. A stack is something that an individual or a team designed to blend together different nootropics to try to like achieve a certain result. So this particular one has several ingredients, but I, I suppose two primary ones are, are the ones worth going over, which is aniracetam and choline. And so aniracetam is similar to phenylparacetam in the sense that it really invigorates the acetylcholine neurotransmitter. So it's an acetylcholine precursor. So again, that's increased memory, increased focus, or at least those subjective senses of those things. How you actually measure them, it gets a lot trickier. Um, and then choline being also an acetylcholine precursor. So they pair really well together. Um, and this is something that I use when I don't have my little vials of powders laying around that I have time to mix with water if they happen to be water-soluble or with bulletproof coffee or something if they're fat-soluble. Uh, and so I'll keep these at work or something to, to take without you know, freaking people out by mixing different powders from vials into, into cups. We're getting super into the weeds with this already, which is awesome. I feel like we should take a step back, though, and say, like, what broadly is going on? Like, what is the interest in nootropics now? Like, it's kind of having a moment, like, Emmanuel, you brought your own nootropic that you've been trying. I did. I brought my bottle of Alpha Brain, which is from a company called Onnit, and it's a, an all-natural nootropic, I'm told. Um, and also... Um, it is supposed to increase my memory and focus. I've been taking it for about a week. And you just did you just do that on your own? Like you were you wanted to try it and you thought it might make you smarter? I mean, <laughs> I don't need to be smarter, but uh, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I just I mean, since we have this week of stories coming up, I wanted to see if it could improve my performance in video games, uh, similar to the way that we've heard recently that players have been taking Adderall. Um, to become better players. And uh, so far, results have been mixed. It's really interesting to me because nootropics, smart drugs, I mean, these are pretty old technologies, uh, as it were. So, um, so aniracetam, for example, uh, I believe was conceived in the 1970s. So for us, that's over 40 years ago. And aniracetam is probably one of the most popular nootropics still today. So... That doesn't really say too much in terms of why is it popular, but it does say, like, we probably haven't come that far in this kind of area of drug use in that amount of time, whether that's due to lack of research or just brief surges of interest that are kind of, you know, smaller type communities of people that they, they get into it and they fade. Um, or maybe the literature isn't there. Uh, some of the kind of most interesting work I've come across has been, been from an author, Michael Hutchison, who wrote this book called Megabrain in the early 90s, I believe. And so that's like kind of the last really solid resource that 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 in kind of contemporary culture that I found regarding this stuff before someone like uh, Dave Asprey or something that, that has come along more recently. And Dave Asprey is the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, which is the coffee with butter in it. And it's supposed to be good. I know. <laughs> it's great. Um, okay, what's the last thing that you brought? It's a white bottle and it says OptiMind on it. Yeah, so this is OptiMind. And um, the reason I brought this one is to kind of distinguish from the kind of two synthetic type nootropics that I brought. Um, this was an, one is actually a little similar to Alpha Brain in the sense that there isn't something like aniracetam in here. Um, so this uses like huperzine A uh, to kind of, as the acetylcholine precursor instead of like some substance that was created you know, by a chemist to do that. 
Um, but so, but the the real reason I brought this is subjectively for me, I really got into this product because it is what kind of got me away from drinking energy drinks uh, maybe about a year ago. Um, and it provided that same subjective sense of what an energy drink gave me, and a lot of the ingredients here are similar, without all of the sugar or and, and, and none of the kind of like, oh my gosh, I feel so terrible four hours later. Okay, so can we try some of these? Um, and so then we can have like the best, funniest, smartest podcast ever. <laughs> I'm already hopped up. I already dosed up. You dosed up on Alpha Brain? On Alpha Brain. Okay, all right, hit this. me with the OptiMind. OptiMind. Is this going to keep me awake? Mm. What if I take lots of NyQuil later? <laughs> I have a cold for background for <laughs> listeners. You couldn't tell from my voice. You don't recreationally take NyQuil in the evening. No. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that sad. Um, so the short answer is I don't know in terms of if it's going to keep you up. <laughs> this and answer I, comes up a lot in the science of nootropics. <laughs> I think that's the safest answer is probably why. Um, in my personal experience, uh, if you were to try to fall asleep around, what time is it right now? Five, 5.30? Yeah, so if you want to fall asleep in five hours, it, it, for me, that would be absolutely fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take one since I'm really small. Boom. Thank you. Done. Should, what, should I take one of the other ones? No, I would not mix, <laughs> mix them. <laughs> Don't mix nootropics, kids. Unless you're making your own stack and you know what you're doing, in which case, be careful. Be careful and watch Steve's YouTube channel. How do they find your YouTube channel? Yeah, youtube.com slash Steve Cronin. Uh, I do like nootropic reviews. I have a video called How to Make Your Own Smart Drugs, which is actually a very, very basic intro into what we just told people not to do unless they were really, <laughs> unless they were really uh, educated. So, but it's there for the people who don't know what they're doing. And it's like, what's the safest like, kind of combination that you can come up with on your own and, 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 and make and kind of demo with a blender and some powders, so. Okay, that sounds super fun. I'm going to watch that later. Um, so for now, we're going to cut to an interview. We thought it would be interesting to talk about um, a related story. Uh, along with the nootropic craze, there's also an esports craze. And within the esports craze, there's been like a minor snafu, scandal. Um, I would call it a scandal. Scandal? Yeah, yeah scandal, I think, qualifies. E the first scandal of esports not here. the first, but the, uh, the first, like, <laughs> uh, druggy-related doping. Okay, yes. Yeah. So this is, like, the analog is, like, taking steroids and baseball or at the Olympics or something. That's Pe right. People supposedly doing Adderall before their big um, eSports game. Yeah, and uh, this all comes from one throwaway comment from a Counter-Strike player um, who goes by Semphis. And during an interview, he just mentioned that uh, during a previous tournament, he and his entire Counter-Strike team, uh, Cloud9, which is one of the biggest uh, Counter-Strike teams in North America, he said, uh, we were all on Adderall. We were all on Adderall. Like, well, I, don't, I don't even give a fuck. Like, it was pretty obvious, like, if you listen to the comms, like... I don't know, people can hate it or whatever. Tons everyone everyone do does it. Adderall at ESA land, right? Yeah. Sure. So Just throwing that out there for the fans. <laughs> Say it good. We're going to hear from Rod Breslau, who is an esports uh, commentator and former player and somebody who's been involved with the scene for like 15 years, and he just knows a lot about it. And also there was um, one of the esports leagues banned... 
at our use. Following uh, that interview, right. uh, the ESL, which is one of the biggest organizers of tournaments, uh, announced that they will begin testing players for for Adderall use. Uh, yeah. Following uh, WADA's sort of list of banned substances. Great. Let's talk to Rod. So I'm Emmanuel Myberg. I'm the weekend editor, and I am here with Rod Breslau, otherwise known as Slasher. And Rod, uh, I don't know many people that know esports as well as you do. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how long you've been involved with the scene and stuff you did? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I've been involved in competitive gaming and esports for probably about 15, 16 years now. Um, initially started as a player, competitive player, um, mainly in the Doom, um, started off with that, then went to Warcraft 2, and then uh, played a lot of Quake 2 as a kid, and the Quake series for the last uh, 12, 13 years has been a strong uh, part of my heart. Um, And I've been a journalist, broadcaster, uh, enthusiast for in the community and in the scene for um, quite a long time now. Yeah, and we're here, I wanted to ask you about uh, the issue of doping and esports, and this is something that I can't wait. <laughs> this is something that uh, we heard a lot of rumors about. Uh, I think over the years, but uh, the reason this story blew up this year, uh, it comes. I think, I mean, the whole thing. I think comes from one throwaway comment from a Counter Strike player. His name is, I think, you pronounce it, Corey Frizen. Frizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, uh, Otherwise known as Semphis. Semphis, that's right. And he, um, I think it was, uh, it was earlier this year, he admitted that he and his team at the time, Cloud9, uh, were, quote, all on Adderall during a tournament in March. Uh, this made a lot of headlines. The New York Times covered it. The ESL, which is the organization that put on the event, uh, announced that they will start drug testing players. Rod, as uh, someone who's been covering this for so long, uh, what was your reaction when when you first saw this story uh, blow up? Uh, Well, you know, this one, this is something that I have been asked about numerous times over uh, my career in esports and and gaming. I have been asked this question for numerous mainstream gaming publications uh, many, many years ago and throughout the years, continuously, the the same one about doping esports. This one was probably the most profound uh, kind of uh, explosion of the the question at, uh, for this because of the headlines and how big esports has grown over the years, uh, how much Counter Strike has grown, and then this specific player and him being on one of the, the biggest North American teams, then that enacting ESL and their announcement with uh, one of the largest doping anti doping agencies, WADA, uh, who. You know, seems legitimate. They were the world behind, anti-doping agency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were behind the recent Russian, I think, uh, Winter Olympics yep. um, issues that that went on. So you know, they are. This is a serious thing, and and because of that, this is much more of a topic. I think maybe now we're talking about than it was uh, before. So I will say it is pretty complicated. I vote. I have admittedly. Uh, heard over the years from first-hand sources being told directly and second-hand that there have been several instances of players taking Adderall or an amphetamine-like substance, usually, uh, before games um, in official competitions. 
What do you think it was about that interview, though, that made it catch on like it did? I mean, if you watch the interview, it's it's really like I said, it's a throwaway thing that he that he mentions. And is it is was that the clearest public admission that we've ever heard of in this industry, or is it like you say, is it the first time we've heard about it since esports really became much bigger uh, than it has been in previous years? Well, to put some context in it, uh, he is now no longer part of Cloud Nine, so already there is a little bit of. You know, you have to look at that statement very carefully in the context of him and where he is in esports and not being part of that that team anymore. Um, at the same time, because of how large Counter Strike is and Cloud Nine being probably the number one team in North America and how much pu- publicity those guys get and the attention and the eyes that are on that team, that's why it mattered so much more now, especially with Counter Strike being some of the biggest focus for. ESL and a lot of the events that they're doing, uh, they've did a lot of Dota 2 for the, I would say, the last two years. But Counter-Strike for the last year has had a huge focus and rebound from when they used to do it a long time ago. So when you put all those factors in together, I think that's why now these things were taken a lot more serious than in previous times. Yeah, and uh, we should say that um, Cloud9 and the players that um, Semphis was referencing that he played with at the time. Uh, they didn't wish to comment. Uh, Semphis didn't want to comment, who I think understandably uh, is kind of uh, waiting for this whole thing to uh, to die down and go away. Um, he is still competing, right? He's uh, with a, a, a big Complexity. team. Complexity, right? And mm-hmm. and he, he did not wish to comment, we should say. Um, do you think that Adderall... And doping in esports in general is as big of a problem as this story made it out to be. I have uh, admittedly wavered back and forth on this from, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big problem to, nah, in retrospect, comparative to all the other things going on in esports, it's not really a big problem. And now I'm back into, I think this was something that had to happen, you know, sometime uh, in the. Uh, continued progression of competitive gaming and esports. I believe that it has, ha- and I have been told that it has happened in previous tournaments, uh, especially in the first-person shooter community, and then especially in the console first-person sh- shooter community. This has been more prevalent than I have heard in other uh, RTS or MOBA, Dota, or, or even fighting game-like uh, communities. Uh, at the same time, you know, I don't want to over- make it overblown and say that all of these champions have been on Adderall. I do not believe that. I do not believe that is a legitimate claim uh, that I would think the majority of people and you, you would say that there is no potential instance of cheating involved or a substance involved. Uh, I think that it has happened and I would believe that, you know, it could still happen, which is why this is necessary these guidelines for to come into place, but I also don't think it's it's as widespread as you know there would be gigantic names to fall if there were, were testing done retroactively. Though I really do not want to eat those words. So <laughs> that's not true. Uh, so I was in a ESL event in New York. It was a Dota two uh, event, and I went there honestly hoping to see. 
what the testing looked like or if there was like a tent where the players would be tested um, because the ESL announced that it would test players. But when I got there, I found out that they are only testing for Counter-Strike tournaments right now. And from what I gather, and I think you just mentioned it, is that um, where there have been cases of uh, esports players using Adderall, it's been with first-person shooters, and it's been specifically with North American North American teams. Is that is that right? And if so, why is that? Uh, well, from what I have uh, heard and and seen, I do think that Europe European players are. Uh, part of it too, but it feels just like that Adderall specifically uh, got big in America as like a culturally, it's an American thing that kids or you get treated with Adderall uh, to treat ADD, and that's like a much bigger thing. It seems like in America than, than it is in Europe, not just gaming, but in general. So you infuse that with gamer culture. Uh, FPSs have always been a very strong point in esports. History, Americans have played first-person shooters. They were the reason that Counter-Strike Americans were huge into Counter-Strike. Americans were huge into Quake. Americans were huge into Halo. Americans were huge into Call of Duty. And a lot of those trends still are like that to this day. I mean, Americans do play, of course, League of Legends and Dota and games like StarCraft and fighting games too. But we like to shoot people here (laughs) in America. So you combine with a culture that I think takes Adderall probably more than other nations and other, um, I would say, the majority of Europe or Asia, even though I don't really know firsthand, admittedly, of what their drug habits are over there. Uh, And then the ease of being able, availability of getting these types of drugs and to to purchase them offhand without prescription or to get prescription very easily. And then with the amount of players that play FPS games, and then there is some particular thing I probably would say about a first-person ga- uh, first-person shooter games that are more Twitch-like, um, where you know there is strategy involved in first-person shooter games, of course. And whether it's Counter-Strike or Quake, there is strategy and tactics involved in playing the game. But it's different than it is, <coughs> sorry, uh, where it is in a strategy game like StarCraft or League of Legends, where Twitch movement and aim is very important in first-person shooters. And it's, it would feel and seem that like amphetamines would fit that mold and that role much better um, than a strategy game. Yeah, that is confusing to me because uh, you're a big uh, Quake fan, and and I'm I'm big into first person shooters, and I've played uh, League of Legends and Dota two and games like that, StarCraft. Um, which are way bigger in, in the esports scene than... I mean, League of Legends is the biggest one, and Counter-Strike is, is big, but not nearly as big. Um, but one thing that they talk about with StarCraft, for example, or at least that I remember that people used to talk, to, uh, used to talk about a lot, is uh, APM, actions per minute, right? Which is, sounds like a very twitchy, like um, fast-paced thing. And I'm wondering, why do you think... I mean, it seems like all these games would benefit from being really um, your cognition somehow enhanced by by Adderall. Why do you think it would be? Is there something about uh, the way you play a first person shooter and move around a level and and having to put your uh, your cursor on a player's head? Is is there something inherent about the genre that would benefit more from Adderall? I mean, I have a decent amount of experience playing. 
RTS games uh, and StarCraft. But I have way more playing first-person shooter games and, and what that's like for me to say that it feels like it's more intuitive and inherent when you're playing a first-person shooter game in a 3D world and you have to kind of make decisions and move and, and there's movement um, as like a, a you know character and that feels different than to me than an over the head top type of game where it's just where the adrenaline would go but honestly I can't make that claim entirely because yeah you know those brood war brood war players archive players at EPM really does matter how fast you're you can move your fingers on the keyboard matters way more than it does in a first-person shooter. That does not come into play in first-person shooters. It's really not at all about how much APM you have. It's a completely different type of gaming experience. It feels like that experience of being in a 3D world and shooting, having to, to shoot things and be very quick in your reaction time of aiming from one person to the next person and deciding what you want to do uh, works better with amphetamines than than a strategy of having to think ahead and having to, you know, of course it's about your movement and ha- how many actions you can take, but a lot of it is a different type of um, gaming. So it might still be more the culture of it just Adderall being easier to get and to use here in America in general than it is in other places. Yeah, I would say that that is a good... Uh, uh, difference though the the first person shooters being very reactionary it's a, it's about reaction times more than uh, a starcraft game where you are planning ahead and you have to do things very quickly but it's it's more like chess where you're trying to plan several moves ahead do you think it can actually significantly make a player better if i take adderall will i see a significant uh increase in my ability or is this just more of a something that's uh, passed around with players, or something that's helping them train for longer hours? I mean, if you take steroids or something, you're going to see some sort of boost in your performance. But I'm not sure it's so clear cut with 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 esports. Do you, do you think if if I take Adderall right now, will, will I play better if I just jumped in a game of Counter Strike? You know, I mean, of course, it's going to be different for every person out there and their reactions to these types of things. But I have been told that um, by players that have competed in international tournaments that they played better with the use of Adderall and that they know other players that also place very highly um, on, you know, on these substances. Now, this was... Uh, way more in the past than I think in the present, especially with the current climate um, of esports. But yeah, I do believe that it is that it definitely can. Uh, you, I mean, there's a reason that it is <laughs> what it is, uh, and how much you know students use it and college students use it and people use it to work and to and to write and to do things. I mean, it's a widespread. Thing that I think it definitely can, in the right hands, enhance your gaming experience and make you more focused and uh, and be able to produce better in the game. And for others, no, it will not work at all. Uh, at the same time, uh, there are there is reason to believe that sustained use longer than like if you are taking it for a one day event um, or even or even one to two days, then it would probably be easier than over a long period of time 
where the come down from it is extremely high and it is un, unattainable to be able to continue doing such a large dose. And with Adderall, from what I know, it, you build up a, you know, a decent, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, tolerance to, to taking it. So you would have to take more and more and that's also not sustainable just because of you know, the come up and come down when you're playing a very long land tournament, like a good example, the Dota Major, uh, Dota 2 Majors are happening right now, this weekend uh, in Germany, and it's a week-long tournament with group stages and then land matches throughout the week. That it would be very, very difficult to be able to do Adderall at these events. So for these long events, um, the teams would have to, like, guess, like, what day they would want to use it. Oh, maybe we want to save our Adderall for, like, the quarterfinals. Or maybe we want to, we have to do it in the group stage. But then, are you know, how are they going to be mentally if they're not on it from quarterfinals? Or if they had to do it again with their quarters, how are they going to sustain that again for the third day? When you get into some, some things like now with uh, logistics in that form, I think not even, I think that alone will deter a lot of people from... From doing it. So I think it is, you know, it is both ways. Yes, I really do believe that um, it can help you game. At the same time, you know, it just might not be feasible a lot of, a lot of the ways beyond just the drug testing itself. Yeah, I think that's not something that people think about is how long people, how long esports players play for. I mean, if you're, if it's a soccer match, it's 90 minutes with some overtime. If you're at, a Dota championship or something like that. You can be playing for how many hours a day? Like you, you can be playing all day or you're playing and you're waiting all the time. And it's not even, it, it would be the opposite effect when you are a team that's waiting. If another two teams are having an extremely long best of three and it's going all the way where it's a Dota uh, match or a Counter-Strike game and you have to wait three hours and you're waiting to like pop it and when it's going to kick in, it's, you know, it's it's very difficult for that. So players are playing very long periods of time every day in what could be, you know, four to five days. Like a professional a event uh, in a day could be, you could be playing for easily like six hours, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these things have been extended a lot more. Like traditionally in the older days, we'd have like two or three days weekend events, which would still happen a lot right now in esports. But a lot of the bigger championships have been moved to five days to a week or even like two weeks to a month, like a longer champ which we've seen in League of Legends, etc. Yeah. Um and I think that's something there was a few weeks ago uh we saw some teams trying to put a, a teams union together and and make demands out of organizations like the ESL that put on these events. And one thing that came up is the number of games they were willing to play in a day, right? They wanted to uh basically have shorter days, which is an understandable demand. And I could see definitely, I mean, from my experience, I think in high school, we took Ritalin, right? For like <laughs> for for the weeks where it was like crunch week and you were just taking tests all day. And I could definitely see if you're like if you're taking tests for six hours a day, hour four rolls around, you just feel drained. You take Ritalin, which is not that it's like kind of in the same family as as uh Adderall. And I could see how that would definitely help if you're playing for six hours a day to pop one of those and, and just keep going. Um, so, like we said, the ESL is testing right now. And in order to put its testing together, they talked to uh, WADA. And they are just taking their methods wholesale. 
So whatever uh, WADA, whatever is on WADA's list of banned substances is on uh, the ESL's list of banned substances. And that means cannabis as well, um, which seems, uh, it seems silly and seems like an unnecessary thing to add. Um, but, but for now, at least, their line is, we're just doing what WADA is doing. What do you think about that? Do you think that's the right way to go? They should just follow WADA and they should just follow their procedure? Well, they did clarify that marijuana use is prohibited only during the event days and when the event goes on. So the day before, the day after, and every event throughout their life, they're, you are allowed to smoke marijuana. Just not specifically on the days of the event, which I can't say is incredibly unfair. I mean, you know, even if you're a prescription smoker and it's still for... Um, for fun use so, and or for, for, for medical use. Uh, I mean, it's not so bad to not be able to do it for a few days. But in general, for them to be with WADA, I mean, I think that it's shown to be a respectable company that does good work. I think that their recent findings and investigations into uh, the Russians is a good example that they can do, you know, good stuff. So for ESL to partner with them seems like, like a good move and a win. I don't think they partnered with like a shady organization um, uh, in, in that way. So yeah, it feels like this is this is a good step for them to take. It, the All of the guidelines are in there wholesale. Maybe there needs to be some tweaking done specifically for esports, but it is targeted generally at amphetamine substances because those are the ones that you think are going to be helpful the most. Maybe we'll see newer mind-altering type. Um, I don't mean like hallucinogens. I meant more, you know, just things that could help your brain be better. Nootropics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that might come into play more specifically in esports, and that'll have to be the thing that we look out for um, going forward. Um, so, but yeah, I think it, I really do think it is a step forward for the industry. As esports is growing up, and competitive gaming is getting larger. It is necessary for it to go forward. That was Rod Breslau talking about the use of Adderall in esports. We're going back to the studio now to unpack this story and compare it to what's happening in Nootropics. I'm just wondering, like, where is this line for drugs that are enhancing your performance and giving you an unfair advantage, supposedly, and like coffee or Red Bull? Which, like, they drink Red Bull all the time at these things, right? They must. Yeah, they do. And uh, energy drinks are big sponsors for uh, esports events. Monster and Red Bull. Yeah, so what's the difference between an energy drink and something like Adderall? I think that is part of a much bigger, more complicated uh, question about what is uh, performance enhancing in an unfair way. Like... If you get a better night's sleep, you're going to do better if you're an athlete. Right. Or, breakfast, good breakfast. Right. And so if I take a sleeping breakfast pill. Breakfast of Red Bull. If I take a sleeping pill the night before, is that is that doping? Right. Um, yeah. I'm curious, Steve, what you think about the basic difference between the stuff that you brought in that's dietary supplements and something like Adderall. Are all these dietary supplements less powerful? Um, so, so I think not. Um, and I guess to, to kind of cut back a little bit, um, I would say that, so with Adderall specifically, and, and probably most psychoactive drugs and substances, um, we, I would say we actually really don't know too much about how they work um, or what they do. 
Adderall specifically, like we think and we suspect that they um, invigorate dopamine and norepinephrine. Uh, dopamine we briefly talked about. Um, it's you know a reward chemical. It's um, uh, it has to do with your movement and sense of energy. Norepinephrine uh, really strongly tied with a sense of like motivation. Like yes, like I'm so pumped to do this. Um, but those those are really just correlations of of kind of like changes in a physiological system that we measure to someone subjectively saying, "I feel this way." Um, and that's I think generally true across the board in, in psychoactive, psychoactive substances. So um, now in regards to like the difference between Adderall and perhaps like an energy drink like Monster or Red Bull. Um, I would definitely say there is, however, a huge difference in that, like, the can of Monster you're drinking doesn't have these, like, huge uh, dopamine and epinephrine precursors in it. Like, the feeling that you get um, from taking a dose of Adderall uh, that will last for, at least in my experience, when I've taken it, lasts for, like, tw- upwards of 12 hours versus uh, the experience you have when you take, uh, when you drink a can of Red Bull is, is, is pretty different subjectively, but also like when we look about how we think the physiological processes might work. So Steve, we didn't talk about yet how you got into nootropics and like what made you interested in it? Yeah, so I first got at least interested in the idea of cognitive enhancement in general in 2007. And that was the year I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease. I was staying in New Hampshire during a summer, um, living with my stepbrother, and started developing these very curious symptoms, uh, mostly revolving around my sense of of cognitive performance. I would say, um, which was then later confirmed and measured of during like a psyche valve of like here, like if you take everybody, like here's where I am below average of people with like this. Specific, specific type of memory, like sensory memory or something. So I had this huge cognitive decline, and I it took me several months, probably about six months or so, maybe a bit longer, to discover that it was Lyme disease that was affecting me in a certain way, and I had to take antibiotics every day for well over a year to kind of treat that. Um, but during that time, when I had physicians telling me, there is no route, like you have these mental deficits because of a bacterial infection and therefore you need antibiotics, I kind of like, well, I was like, well, you know, maybe in a way, like that's terrible. Like that's too bad that a physician is telling me that. But now I feel like I have the freedom to kind of like explore this area on my own since I don't have the help of my physician. And so that's when I really started reading about nootropics and smart drugs for the first time. So your doctors told you basically, here's this is all we can tell you to do. You can take these antibiotics and you'll feel a little better, but you won't be back to normal. Yeah, and I was offered some uh, some pharmaceuticals, including Adderall, actually, um, and then some antidepressants as well to try to combat the uh, presumptive deficits of neurotransmitters in the brain. Um, and kind of like I said earlier, like we have a really poor understanding of how that works anyway. Um, and in my experience with these pharmaceuticals, the side effects are incredibly nasty. So while they are different in the sense of nootropics, like something like aniracetam, in the sense that they are much more powerful, um, and nootropics like aniracetam, paracetam, even the stuff in alpha brain are much more subtle, the reward in that is that you don't have all these side effects. And, and to me, that's been, been the main like, big difference. And so that's the path I chose to explore after doctors were like, hands off at this point. So Emmanuel, you're saying you would, you would do the Adderall? I, the Adderall? 
I mean, I would try Adderall, but I am a, I'm, I'm more afraid of Adderall as a drug that was, that is attempting to treat a condition um, that is way more serious than than nootropic. Yeah, to me, Adderall seems like a more serious drug than these unregulated or less regulated dietary supplements, just because they're like sitting around the GNC with all the like. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like e, it seems like not that serious of drugs. It's like it's because creatine. It's, yeah, like creatine or like tryptophan is something that I take, which I have no idea if it does anything, <laughs> but uh, supposedly it helps you relax. I don't know. Those drugs just they seem safe. That's probably a dangerous way of looking at them. Like Adderall to me is like Adderall's like uh, pharmaceutical cocaine. It's like or amphetamine. It's I mean, like I really definitely. Serious. I've I've met those. I know those kids from school who like had issues with that. Um, yeah, it can lead to other things. It, it's something that's prescribed willy-nilly. It's, uh, yeah. Well, so how dangerous, like, how safe are these drugs? How dangerous is it to play around with? What's the worst thing that's happened to you? In regards to the pharmaceuticals or the, or the like, the nootropics? Yeah, okay, so I had a really terrible experience, actually, with Nupept, uh, which is, if I remember correctly, and that's actually quite funny because this was a drug that I was supposed to uh, improve my memory. It did the opposite in the short term. Um, if I remember correctly, it, it, it invigorates the same neurotransmitters aniracetam, so that would be acetylcholine. Um, but I'd have to fact check that. And uh, so I, I took this, and it was kind of like subjectively measured to be uh, you know fifty to hundred times more powerful than something like paracetam or aniracetam, which are pretty pretty low, subtle effect type nootropics on the scale of how effective are they. And um, probably within about 15 to 20 minutes, I had this sense of forgetfulness that was so severe. I was probably looked like someone who had OCD, like walking around, like, did I lock my door? Did I close the fridge? Did I pour water in this cup? Oh, yeah, it's right here. And so are two other cups filled with water. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it sounds kind of nutty. And, and now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds kind of... Kind of um, in a way, unbelievable, even to myself, kind of thinking about this since I made a video about Nupept on, on YouTube. But uh, that that essentially took me out of commission for, I would say, about four hours during that day. So the whole idea of self-experimentation, I think, is really bad, and I don't know why anyone would really want to do it. I mean, I suppose I have a decent reason in that I'm still searching for my mental capacities that I lost with the Lyme disease, and that's kind of going to be, I think, an ongoing journey um, that is definitely not confined to smart drug use, but in, involved with other disciplines as well, like contemplative practices, etc. So uh, it's definitely very dangerous in terms of let me take 10 different smart drugs over the period of three months. Um, and, and you probably don't, like if I had to work that day or, 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 or get tasks done that day, I took Nupept, I would have had a real issue. But uh, if you stick with... Um, some basic stuff like anorastam, prastam, choline, alpha brain, optimind, any of the stacks you can find or, or drugs you can find at GNC, you're probably okay. And your YouTube channel is one of the resources that people have to look into this. What are other places people can look to do research? Like, I guess you can walk into your nutrition store and ask them what the heck this stuff does or go on Reddit. Are those the best places? Yeah, as, as ridiculous as this might sound to a significant number of people, I would say that the Nootropics subreddit is a very, very solid resource for um, nootropic, nootropics and smart drug um, information. The people who generally post there, in my experience, 
tend to be uh, more on the scientific edge of the spectrum and not so much the subjective edge of the spectrum in terms of, I took this and I feel amazing, let's talk about it, versus uh, I took this and uh, it really doesn't matter how I feel until later, like let's let's talk about um, actually what we know about what it's doing. And so in terms of a resource for someone who might want to take something in the future, um, the, the, the links kind of culminated in that location of whether they be like PubMed articles or whatever, uh, are, are pretty solid there in my experience. What would your preference be? Do you kind of wish that the government would regulate this stuff so that we would know more about it? Or do you prefer the current Wild West climate where you can just order whatever off the internet and try it out yourself? That is a really tricky question to answer because, so I suppose I have thoughts in, in, on both sides. Um, if I think about my personal experience, the thought and the idea of not being able to experiment this stuff when I was at my lowest point with Lyme disease, where I couldn't drive a car without without you know fear of of hurting myself or another person, um, that is pretty scary to me. Uh, not only did it give me something to do or give me a path to 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 take charge of my recovery, but definitely when I started taking modafinil, uh, branded Provigil, which happens to be regulated by the FDA. Um, but also anorastan plus choline, um, I did start to notice improvements. So I'm very thankful for the opportunity to do that without having something either be not available for use unless you got it illegally um, because it was in a research phase and you couldn't get it, or another barrier of, of seeing a physician. At the same time, I know that if I was 20% less responsible than I am now, and I've been taking these all probably but at this point dozens of different smart drugs over the past couple of years, then I might have the chances of me hurting myself are greater. So I definitely have I definitely have some emotional feelings on both sides. I I I, I don't want people to get hurt, and I I, I think that I, I think that I would want every mechanism in place for 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 people to be safe. Um, at the same time, I, I I really want to be able to you know keep the opportunity I had to help myself. So if I could travel back in time, I wouldn't want to be like, you know what, Steve, you can't do that because because it's illegal. And and it's like, well, okay, do I do I go to my, the corner of the street wherever and be like, hey, do you have any do you have any interacetam? <laughs> <laughs> why why aren't these the companies that are selling nootropics uh, paying for studies just to sort of prove their effectiveness and advertise them? And I mean, the Alpha Brain I'm taking, they tout this. Uh, study at the Boston Center for Memory, which was like a double blind test. So they ruled out the uh, placebo effect. Um, why aren't more companies doing that? Yeah, so Anna is definitely doing that. Um, True Brain, I believe, also is doing something similar. Although I think that was developed within the confines of university, uh, if I remember correctly, to begin with. Um, I guess there's two answers. One is because most of the nootropics you find are crap and don't work. <laughs> uh, and then two, it's quite expensive to run those studies. Um, so one of my favorite brands, uh, New Star Nootropics, which is the phenylparacetam I bought or brought in the, in the amber vial there, um, they, they actually sell their products not for human consumption, which, which is interesting. Um, in that way, the FDA does regulate how you can kind of market stuff, depending on what it is you're selling. The quality of it, in, I'm convinced, uh, based on my personal experience and research, is super high. But they're not in the business of of developing uh, a product and, and going through these studies to 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 be able to sell their product in the manner they want, um, because the cost for them would probably be too high. So 
So my two answers, crap companies and too expensive. What was the name of that new tropic you said that made you f- forgetful? Newpept. Newpept. Okay. So that's one to maybe stay away from. Um, cool. Uh, I guess before we close, I'm curious about your personal routine. What are you, what's, what's your stack look like right now? Is this like a, a morning till like early morning routine? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So um, the first part of every day is never consistent, and that's when I wake up because the snooze button on my smartphone is just too tempting for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I do wake up, um, I drink some water, I walk my dog, I have a two-year-old puppy, um, and I do about 15 to 20 minutes of mindfulness meditation that I learned through a private Buddhist school I went to graduate school for, um, called Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I make my a bulletproof-ish form of tea. So I have like mate tea, and uh, I use coconut oil, the grass-fed, unsalted organic butter, etc. Um, and that is about it. So I am aware of morning routines being a pretty big thing, especially... I think from my understanding and my experience, uh, popularized by someone like Tim Ferriss, I would say. Um, Mine is pretty simple and pretty basic. And that's probably because when my brain turns on, my thoughts are way too complex and I never get anything done. So simpler the better for me. But consistency is key for sure. And what is it that the butter in the coffee is supposed to do or the butter in the tea in your case? Yeah, so it, it is your fat source. And so Bulletproof coffee or Bulletproof tea is kind of follows the ketogenic gui- diet guidelines, um, which means you get your energy from burning fat instead of sugar, vaguely, but my diet knowledge is pretty low, so I'll stop there. Um, but then also to, to, to curb your hunger, because in many, pl- in many, in many cases for a lot of people, um, that tea, that drink, or that coffee acts as a meal replacement for breakfast. Well, I feel great. That was Radio Motherboard. I'm Adrian Jeffries, Managing Editor, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Oh yeah, and don't do drugs. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.